And I want to just read the first 15 verses of this chapter just real quick. It says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve, uh, to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years in the, of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Verse 3 says, I'm Joseph, your brother. The brothers were dismayed. They couldn't believe that this had, was actually reality. You remember they had perceived and made this story and it was in their mind that uh, maybe it wasn't true, but they had developed this lie, this story that Joseph was dead, that the, the animals had ate him up, right? But he wasn't. And Joseph's response in verses five through eight is, don't be grieved, don't be angry that you sent me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. What an inspiring thought. And we'll talk about that later in the lesson. He says, hurry and get my father and, and, and tell him that his son Joseph is, is Lord over Egypt and he's alive and he's well. And that you guys are going to dwell in this place called Goshen, this nice place that I've got for you to live and see that you believe that it's me. Look at my mouth and, and look at how I talk and look at my face so you'll know exactly who speaks to you. It's me, 
Joseph, go tell our father of all the glory that is in Egypt. Then what does he do? He falls on his brother's neck and he weeps. Remember, in order to appreciate this story, in order for you to be able to get the blessing that comes from it, you have to put yourself in the picture. You have to put yourself in the story. Joseph for so long has been struggling and his brothers on the other end have been struggling as well. And here they are at the moment, they finally come in contact with each other to realize I'm your brother Joseph and the brothers realizing he's not really dead. Chapter 45, verses 25 through 28. The brothers go to see Jacob and uh, they go to talk to their father. And they tell him that Joseph was alive. And look at verse 26. And they told him. Just picture being Jacob for a minute and your son's coming to tell you that Joseph is alive, right? They said, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. It says, Jacob's heart stood still. Huh? Say that again. After all this mess that y'all been a part of and all the stuff that you got going on, this is what you going to tell me? Yeah, Joseph's alive, and not only is he alive, he's actually the governor in Egypt. Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them, but when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived he saw the carts. He saw all of this big uh, group of, of, of camels and donkeys and carts and whatever was coming to carry all of the family back to Egypt. When he saw this and he heard what they said and he realized, you know what? Maybe you are telling the truth. Here Jacob becomes revived and look at what he says in verse 28. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive Let's go see him. You think he had a smile on his face? Jacob's heart was revived. Genesis chapter 46 talks about this journey. This is where Jacob travels, travels to Egypt with God's blessing. If you look in verse 2, and there's so much in this. There's, there's so many prophecies and things in these chapters. If you have time, I would encourage you to look back and, and slowly read through them. But verse 2 says, Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Jacob, with all his family, they go to Egypt, 
And an interesting thing, Bible bowlers, you remember there was a question yesterday in Acts chapter 7, verse 14, which said 75 went with Joseph, I mean, with Jacob to Egypt, you remember, and it had 70, I think it was 175 and 70, and, and 75 was the, the question. Here we see in uh, Genesis chapter 46, verse 27, it says, and the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70 in Acts chapter 7, verse 14, it says that there were 75 who went with Jacob to Egypt. I don't know why they didn't give them an answer that was correct if they picked 70, but they didn't because they said it in Acts it said 75. And I'm going to let you do your own little research on why that is, okay? Uh, it's it's uh, an interesting thought, really. But Joseph made ready his chariot as, as Jacob and the crew is coming down. We see in verse 28 of Genesis chapter 46, it says, Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. So, so Jacob and the, and the sons and the family are all headed to Goshen and, and so is Joseph. Joseph made ready his cart and he went to Goshen. Look at what it says in verse 29. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Pause. Think about it for a minute what's about to happen. Joseph hadn't seen his father in a long time. Parents, you'll appreciate that. Isn't it always good when your kids have been gone for a while and they come back? Grandparents, isn't it good when you hadn't seen them in a while? Joseph and Jacob haven't seen each other in a long time. And here we see Joseph making ready his chariot and he goes to the place where his father Israel is, and look what he does. He presents himself to him. And he fell on his neck and wept. And I love what the Bible says. It says, on his neck a good while. Verse 30, it says, Israel, after he hugs and they, and they cry and they weep and they have this joy and they have all of these emotions, Israel says to Joseph, let me die. <laughs> Since I've seen your face because you are still alive, I cannot believe what I'm seeing Genesis chapter 46, verses 31, all the way through Genesis chapter 47 and verse 26, it talks about Joseph getting the family settled in Goshen. It, it talks about, uh, actually, you see in uh, Genesis chapter 47, 
In verse 13, it says, Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And it talks about this concept of how Joseph actually deals with the Egyptians and how they don't have anything. So they sell their livestock to Joseph and then they end up selling their land to Joseph because there just isn't any food. And Joseph helps them. And you see uh, in verse 26 of chapter 47, it says, And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only which he did, which did not become Pharaoh's. We see Joseph's dealings with how they were going to work this land and and what they were going to give to Pharaoh and what they were going to keep and what they were going to give to their family. Joseph is dealing with all of these things in Genesis chapter 47. And then we move on to Genesis chapter 48. And this is where uh, Jacob blesses Joseph's sons. And I want you to just think about what uh, Jacob says to Joseph's sons in verse 15 of chapter 48. It says, and he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And something for study, something interesting, if you'd like to uh, take some time and look into it. Verse 17, it says, now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of the of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But Jacob refuses to do that. And he said, I know, my son, I know. He shall also become a people and he also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Interesting study if you want to look into that. Be uh, careful though, because you'll get caught up in a lot of stuff now if you start that one. But here we see in in Genesis chapter 48, the blessings that come to Joseph's sons. And in Genesis chapter 49 is where Jacob blesses the 12 sons of Israel. He blesses his son, which becomes the 12 nations of Israel. And one interesting thing in those blessings is one that we're all familiar with. It's a prophecy about Jesus, and it comes by way of Genesis 49, verse 10. It says, The the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. The The Hebrew word Shiloh means until that which belongs to him comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Jesus is coming. And we see it all the way back in Genesis. But in Genesis chapter 50, 
Joseph keeps his father's wishes because Israel doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. He wants to be buried in a cave that Abraham bought in Canaan. And he wants to be returned there when he dies. And we see that uh, Joseph is willing to accept this and do exactly what he wants him to do. And now we get to the final thoughts from the life of Joseph. I want us to read verses 15 through 21. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Jacob wanted to be put in Canaan and Joseph obeys that and does it. And when Jacob is gone and everything settles back in, the brothers become scared. The brothers think, uh-oh, Jacob's gone. Joseph may hate us and he may actually want to repay us for the evil that we have done to him. Now remember, we've walked through this whole story. We've had all of these lessons on all of these different things. And really and truly, the biggest point, the biggest question of all of this lesson is exactly where we're at. What is Joseph going to do? Am I right? What is Joseph going to do to these brothers? What do the brothers do? They still want some help. Look at verse 16. As they worry about this uh, being repaid for the evil which they had done, it says that they send messengers to Joseph. And they said, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And, and, I'm, and it's interesting that this thought gets brought out. It says, and Joseph wept when they spoke to him. I wonder why. I wonder why Joseph wept when he heard that.
Instead of the brothers coming to him, which they will in just a minute, they send a messenger and they add this thought into Joseph's mind and say, Daddy said, forgive us. After all that Joseph had done for him, even despite the things that they had done, as much care as Joseph has taken care of them and left them, it says that, uh, that Jacob lived in Goshen for 17 years. As much help as he had given them, here they go and they use Jacob's words for one last chance to try and keep this worry from being punished out of their mind and out of Joseph's mind. But verse 18 says, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. I want you to know that we are your servants. We'll do whatever you want us to do. And what does Joseph do? Let me ask this question. What would you do? Would you enslave them? Would you have them killed? You know, Joseph has all power to do whatever he sees right. And as Jacob said in his message to Joseph that was sent to him by these messengers, they had done evil to him. Some terrible evil. But what does Joseph do? And here's the point. Here's the thought. Here's the application. What does Joseph do? Look at verse 21. Now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How could Joseph do that? Why would he do that? Huh? Why would Joseph do that to them brothers who did such terrible things to him? Ridiculous things. How dare him do that? After all that had been done to him, all the wickedness, you telling me that you mean you can forgive them? How does God make it possible for us to forgive after being hurt so severely by others? Two things, and the lesson will be yours. And I hope that what we can get from this small area of Scripture is really the big picture and the whole story of Joseph. When it comes to forgiving those who have sinned against us. Because that does happen, doesn't it, from time to time, brethren? Somebody does sin against us every once in a while, doesn't it happen to us? Well, the first thing, and it's, it's kind of ironic because this point comes up a lot in some of my lessons. And, you know, it's just something that I guess God wanted us to really think about. When it comes to the, con it comes to the aspect or the concept of forgiving somebody, the first thing to consider is this. Vengeance, brethren, 
Who does it belong to? It belongs to the Lord. Amen? Look at what Joseph says after uh, these guys bow down to him in verse 18 and say, we're your servants. And they've sent this message that says uh, that daddy said you got to forgive us. We know that, you, that, that, that we've done this evil, but dad said that you got to forgive us. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? What an interesting thought, but what a very powerful application for our life that needs to happen, that has to be a part of a Christian's walk. See, Joseph says very simply put that he's not the judge over these matters. It wasn't up to him to bring wrath upon another person for what they had done to him. But isn't that what we want? <laughs> we want that other person to pay. We want to see them get punished. And we want to see them get what they deserve. <laughs> oh, how vengeful we become when something happens to us. Real talk. Marriages are destroyed because we need to make the other person pay for what they've done, for how they've hurt us. Friendships are no more because we need to get joy out of seeing them hurt. So they can get what they deserve. You want me to tell you something real quick? Those Jews who worshiped Jesus as he walked into the city said, crucify him. When this becomes our mindset, we've given Satan exactly what he wants. We've given him the inch. And he'll make that situation in your life become so powerful that it will absolutely consume you. How does Joseph deal with this situation for this long of time. He says, why are you afraid of me? When he could have said anything, he could have done anything at this point. Jacob's gone. Daddy's not around no more. He tells them, do not be afraid. I'm not God. When we think about that, we obviously know scriptures, and I know one that's very familiar to us, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. It says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 
If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You remember what it continues to say. It says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Some of you can probably quote this without even looking in the Bible. And then verse 20 and 21 says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We know these verses, brethren, but here's the reality. And here is the question. Do we practice them? Do we practice them? Brethren, we forgive because we're told to. Amen? We don't have the right to execute our anger on others. What does the Bible say? Be angry, but do not sin. What happens, though, when we don't forgive? You know, I thought about this a lot, and I've been there before. I've, I've had this, I've had this, I've had stuff in my life. Stuff that I regret, stuff that I hold close to me that, that I don't want to forgive. I don't know about you. Maybe you don't have anything in your life like that. But there's some things in my life from the past that I don't want to forgive. That I want to hold and I want to see wrath and payment and stuff come back how it needs to come back. But you know what happens when we don't forgive? Not forgiving means that we think God's judgment isn't sufficient. Now that's deep. See, it promotes arrogance. Because we can ask God to forgive us, right? Lord, forgive me for what I've done today. I, I was terrible. My attitude was not where it needed to be at. And I'm asking you, Lord, please forgive me and make me uh, who you want me to be. I, I appreciate the blood of Jesus Christ and I'm confessing this sin to you. And I know that you're faithful and you're just to forgive me, right? We want that. We're going to ask for that. We're going to ask God to forgive us, but we can't forgive somebody else. See, God gives us his grace to overcome by resting in the knowledge that God's wrath stands against those who harm his people. Do we believe that? What can man do to me? Do we believe that? See, God's got this. Joseph could have done anything that he wanted to at this time. Yeah, they had a good relationship. Yeah, they had made amends, so to speak. But he still could have done anything that he wanted to. But instead he says, don't be afraid. For am I in the place of, am I God? No, I'm not. So when we think about forgiving somebody else, making application for our lives, we must understand without a doubt that vengeance belongs to the Lord. 
The second thing is this. If we're going to have this understanding of how we can forgive those who have sinned against us, we must understand God's providence. Amen? Do we believe that God is providentially working in our lives? Do we believe that God is providentially doing things in our lives right now that we can't see? I believe that the Bible shows us over and over that he is. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Look what Joseph says in verse 20. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph doesn't say that in a wavering comment. Joseph says that with absolute faith, no stuttering. Absolute confidence. But this really is a shocking thought. The brothers don't get off the hook for what they've done, do they? What does Joseph say? You guys meant it for evil. Don't think that just because I'm not going to hold you accountable and I'm going to forgive you doesn't mean that what you've done wasn't wrong to me. You didn't just do something bad and I'm not going to remember what you did. Oh, you meant it for evil, but you know what? I'm going to forgive you because God... <laughs> this is our hope. And this should be God's grace for us to overcome anything. Because God can use whatever situation... For what, brethren? For the good. Knowing that God can use the wickedness of others as the means for his purpose releases me so that I can forgive. Knowing that God is always working in the midst of everything changes my life. I asked uh, this gentleman, if I could tell his story just real quickly, and I told it to some uh, earlier this afternoon, but it was just such a great thought and, and such a powerful conversion story. Sam Thrasher is the youth minister at Portland. And I was talking to him about how he became a Christian and, and the things that happened in his life. And, and I'm not going to get into all of the stuff, but he didn't grow up in the church. He grew up in a, uh, an environment that was probably not uh, considered a really good one. And what happened was finally his mom decided that they needed to do something. There needed to be a change. So him, his, his mom and, and the dad, they separated well, when the, they separated, Sam said that he began to just do things at school that he wasn't supposed to do. He, he was doing things that wasn't right and, and taking, uh, doing things that people, drugs and alcohol and things of that nature. And he was finding himself liking those things more and more. Well, his mom, understanding that there was a problem, pulled him out of school. This is an awesome story. God 
is still working. Now, if you walk out here and you turn to the right, there's a set of tracks. And I'd encourage you to grab one or two or three or four. But almost every single one of those tracks is written by a guy named Alan Webster. Sam's mom decided to pull him out of school. And when he was pulled out of school, she said, I need to get you in a homeschool program, but I can't do the teaching. I need somebody to help me with this teaching. And wouldn't you know, so ironically, he never was raised in the church. He didn't know anybody in the church. There was a lady. And this lady was actually... Somebody who could take kids in and help them in their homeschool studies. You want to know who that lady was, brethren? Alan Webster's wife. <laughs> if you had to have a guy that could help you understand the truth, who in the world would you get? You'd get the track man, wouldn't you? The one who wrote every single track out there is exactly who you need. And you know, the interesting thing that he said was, I wasn't trying to learn about Jesus. I wasn't trying to know what that meant. The only uh, religious thoughts that I had came from my grandfather who was a Messianic Jew. But Alan Webster's family began to work with this boy. And now... He's working for the kingdom, for the glory of God. <laughs> I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God. What a terrible circumstance that Sam found himself in. And we all have situations. We all have stories that we can talk about. When I think about my life and I think about his story, man, I think about these connections and these situations and how in the world did this happen? God is providentially working in our lives. Brethren, do we know that? See, when I realize that God is with me, when I realize that God is for me, it allows me and releases me from this holding all of these things in and giving things so much power that are not for his glory, that are not for his honor. See, it says, for all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So I'm able to forgive others because I know that God is working in my life for good. And then what happens is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32 become a part of my life. See, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then it says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. And I love the add-in. Even as God in Christ forgave you. But Matt, I want to be angry. <laughs> I want to slander. And I, I want to return evil for evil. But God is working in my life. 
See, and he's accomplishing things that I can't see or understand for his glory. But I want to be angry, Matt. I want to have this bitter attitude. I want that person to get what they deserve because they hurt me. They hurt me. See, God's grace is seen. God's grace is seen when we forgive. And see, it's a beautiful thing that happens. Our obedience to him, it can accomplish more than the hurt we feel inside. Did you hear it? Can I say it again? Can I have one more minute of your time? I know I'm over. Just one more minute. See, God's grace is seen when we forgive because our obedience to him, it can accomplish more than the hurt that we feel inside. As we close, the book of Genesis ends with Joseph showing the same faith as his father. His hope in the land of Canaan, God's promised land. And he does not want his bones to be left in Egypt. Joseph, he expresses faith that God is going to lead his people out of Egypt and take them to that land. And brethren, remember this. Hope in the promises of God is what gives us the faith to forgive. Amen? Our eyes on something more important then this land helps us forgive those who have hurt us and wronged us. Don't you want to go to that land? And don't you want to take somebody with you? Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. I appreciate you guys listening to me uh, give you a good history lesson on Joseph. I probably didn't do a very good job of it because I'm not a history teacher, all right? I'll openly admit that. But maybe you're here today and you need prayer. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. I want you to remember this verse. Let this be your verse for the week. I want you to think about what, what Joseph says. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as to this day to save many people alive. God had a mission for Joseph and God has a mission for you. Don't you want it? Don't you want to be a part of it? Maybe you're here today and you need prayers. Maybe you're here today and you need to become a Christian. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Please, if you want to be saved right now, if you need prayers, come right now. Together we stand and sing.